Hello everyone, I'm Lori Tenney, Director of Strategic Content for Meetings Today, and welcome to the Meetings Today podcast. We are coming to you live from IMAX America 2018 in Las Vegas, and today we are joined by Courtney Stanley, speaker, writer, and business consultant with CS Consulting, Fiona Pelham, past MPI leader and champion of sustainability issues across the global industry, which includes gender equality, and Miriam Dutz, do test. <laughs> Do test. Pardon. Meeting manager for AH. So the topic of our podcast today is sexual harassment in the meetings industry and how far we've come since the Me Too movement was reignited one year ago this month and where we're headed. So we have three great voices with different expert perspectives today. I'll start by asking what inspired each of you to stand up to sexual harassment and why you think it's so important and feel free to share any experiences you may have had with sexual harassment because as we've all witnessed in the past year, sharing our stories creates a snowball effect. So I start with you, Courtney. Absolutely. Um, I think a good place for me to start is to back up a few years to my first job that I ever held in the meetings industry, which was as an event coordinator for a third party planning agency. that in that position is is where I experienced sexual harassment for the first time as a professional within this community. Um, And I wanna tell you a little bit about that. I was working a show and it was my very first four day conference. I was so excited to be on the team, especially as a, a junior professional in the company. And the conference was made up of mostly men. I would say probably about 95% of the attendees were male attendees. It was the very first night of the conference and I was released at the end of the night, allowed to spend my evening however I preferred. As many meeting professionals listening on this podcast understand, you're exhausted at the end of a very long day of managing a conference. So I decided that I would leave the networking event that the attendees were enjoying and I would head back up to my hotel room to get some sleep. When I stepped into the elevator going from the reception area to my hotel room, another attendee, a man, and also a client of my company's followed me into the elevator. When I pressed my button to reach my floor he did not press a button i was only about 22 or 23 at the time and i had had no conversation or training around how to handle situations that make you feel uncomfortable when you have that feeling in your gut that tells you that something is not right so i didn't have any plan of action when i did get that gut feeling that something was wrong And I stepped off the elevator and this client followed me off the elevator and we're making small talk at this point and I am just telling myself that something seems off but I'm sure it's fine. We continued down the hallway and I turned to him and I asked him, oh is your is your hotel room on this floor as well? And he looked at me and he said, no I think I'm lost. 
So I go into junior meeting planner mode and I very diligently and carefully instruct him to go back to the elevator or to find the nearest exit and he can take the stairs down to the main floor and ask the front desk where his hotel room is. He continues to walk alongside me down the hall and eventually we are outside of my hotel room door. And at this point, I tell him good night and I turn to put my key into the slot of the door and he kissed me and my reaction was immediately to push him off of my body and I said, what are you doing? You're married. And his response to me was, but you're so pretty. So at this point, I turned around, I went into my hotel room and I sat on my bed and I was shaking at what had just happened to me. And within minutes, my phone, which was lying next to me on the table, started vibrating. So I picked up my phone and I had a text message and there was an image that he had texted me. And without going into further detail, I can tell you that it was incredibly inappropriate and unprofessional. What happened from here was that I, I did not know who to turn to. I didn't have a great relationship with my direct manager. It was my first conference ever. I was afraid that I would lose my job if someone were to somehow look at hotel footage and assume that I was to blame or that I had brought it on myself. And it was our company's biggest client. I was terrified. And eventually I had built up so much stress and had been dealing with so much anxiety around this instance that I ended up having a panic attack and I was hospitalized. I never told anybody about what happened and this was the first of many incidents of sexual harassment. So what inspired me to start speaking and writing about sexual harassment and what a, a huge issue it is in our community was not only my experiences, but was understanding that when I started having conversations with my peers and with my colleagues, most of the time, they also had similar experiences. And a lot of times it was with the same people that I had been harassed by. And that's what inspired me to speak up and to start the Meetings 2 campaign. Fiona? Well, that was a very eloquent story, very bravely told, Courtney, and it's very hard to, to follow that. Um, I think the work that you've been doing on the Meetings 2 movement has worked because you've brought your vulnerability and your stories to it. And what inspires me to be involved with this campaign is that I've reached a certain level of leadership within the industry. And I really see how I can make a difference for people that have a story to tell and create a space for them to tell it safely and um, comfortably. Um, I haven't experienced harassment in the form that you have and I know we've had a few conversations um, a couple of years ago Courtney and I were talking about decisions that we've made and I was talking about the way that I dress and I realized that I've dressed in a certain way to prevent people looking at me and now I I look at all my clothes and think, would I really wear that? Would I wear something different? But what I have experienced is the real gender inequality. I've been in positions where 
I've chaired a number of high-level um, boards and there'll be a decision being made at lunchtime and there'll be a table of men that will sit down to discuss it and I'll have to say, who's seat can I have because I need to be within this conversation and there is the feeling which I was feeling when you were telling your story Courtney the feeling of in your stomach bubbling fear and you're stepping out of line and you're doing something wrong and it's controlling all of those emotions and then for example with the, the sitting down at the table the minute someone gave me their seat, I had to be ready to be in that conversation. And I had to get myself out of my headspace of, should I have asked someone to do this? Am I wanted in this group? Is my voice relevant? All of those things I had to stop in my brain to be able to contribute. So I think if this movement can create a space for women's voices to be heard, their passion and their, their power, then this is absolutely something that I want to support. Excellent. So my story starts a little differently, um, and it's funny because it's the first time I'm sharing this outside of uh, close family members. Um, I started in hotel operations, and I was uh, sexually assaulted by one of the bellmen, and um, I always remember my reaction was just, I was in such shock when it happened. I My brain was so maybe two days behind. I don't think I processed it until months later. And uh, I, have, I have a very close sister who I um, happened to call um, afterwards, um, still in big shock. And I remember her saying, call the police, call the police, do something, and I couldn't do anything. I was like, for the first time in my life, I felt, I, I don't even know if the word powerless makes sense, but I, I felt like I just didn't, I couldn't act. Um, I've been hard on myself since then, mm. not saying, I've kept that to myself, but I, I've been hard on myself because I'm such someone who's so vocal about so many different topics and I share my opinions. I was so surprised with myself and I've, I guess, carried that guilt that I never spoke up about it. I did confront the person afterwards and I said, I did have a conversation. At that time, I don't think he knew I was in a managerial position. Um, so I think it was like this, this, his, this consequence for him and I do remember saying like you know which in hindsight I don't even know how I managed to do this so, and I said to him like what made you do such a thing and I won't go into the details of what he did but in short um, there was a planning meeting that we had to be, uh, be to and I was uh, overnight staff and I didn't want to go home because I was afraid I would fall asleep and not make it to this managerial meeting so they gave me a room um, uh, on my way to the room to sleep uh, he was in the hallway he's like what are you doing here just having small talk with like any uh, colleague you would have and then I went in I did not deadbolt the door um, and maybe 15 minutes after I was laying down he came in um, so um, that experience for me really changed a lot of things the way I look at stuff um, I think what's inspiring me now to speak up is because um, I've been in that space of being feeling powerless mm -hmm. feeling like I don't know what to do I think I was I think when I look at it in hindsight I think I was afraid of victim shaming I, I felt like I would have been like well what did you do um, I felt like I told uh, one close male colleague and I felt like it was very kind of making uh, he made a lot of um, kind of like try he said you know I'm sorry this happened to you but 
he kind of almost was giving reasons why it could have happened. And my mind is like, but why would that happen? Mm -hmm. I didn't invite this person in. The door was locked. I never gave an invitation. So to be in that situation with this person, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I was in my early 20s. So um, this was like similar uh, to a Courtney situation. It was like one of my first professional jobs. Um, so I've carried a lot of guilt with that and not speaking up. So I now work in, in events and conferences, and I know, especially, I, I don't want to call any one sector out, but I know trade associations can be heavily male-dominated. And um, I think about uh, just someone not feeling comfortable, um, someone not feeling maybe might have heard someone being suggestive of them or might have made a comment or maybe just touched them inappropriately, but it being that space of not knowing what to do. And uh, being here at IMX, I think they speak about the legacy. And I thought about this idea of just like um, making a safe space, that meeting should be a safe space. It shouldn't be a place where somebody would be hesitant to want to engage with other people, that there should be any apprehension to go to a conference or a convention because they'd feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. So I, and just having that personal experience, I think has triggered me now to be vocal and open up. And I think a lot of what the Me Too movement is, is just, that encouragement of hearing your story, like, you know what, this actually happened to me. And although I was silenced, but now I'm opening up and talking about it and the power of the ripple effect that's having. Mm. I think there's a real role too for <clears throat> people to speak up for other people. I think it's very right. interesting that both you and Courtney said you didn't know who to turn to. And I, I've, I've, quite a few people have shared stories with me and it's been very similar. And they've often told somebody, and just as you shared, um, that person has not taken action or said, well, they probably didn't mean it. Um, and I know one uh, incident where I was made aware that something inappropriate had happened and I reported it and I had to report it over four times before action was taken. And that really astounded me because it's okay for me to tell the story four times because it didn't physically happen to me. Mm -hmm. But to think that a victim would have to say four or more times, this is what happened and this is how I felt. When everybody who shares a story also says that they feel guilt and wonder what they were responsible for. I think it's, it's crazy to think that someone could keep repeating their story and keep demanding justice. And I, I really admire the women that do. And I hope that the work with the Meetings 2 campaign is giving a space for women to understand that if they share their story, people will believe them more than having to say before the fourth time of saying it. I think it's really interesting that so many women who have these stories of being victims of assault or harassment, they all say the same thing. They felt guilt. Mm -hmm. There was some guilt or blame or something that was associated with what happened to them that made it difficult and that inspired fear that made it challenging to speak up and as we grow and as we have built as we continue to build networks around us as we you know develop as professionals and, and as people we feel stronger and we feel more supported to speak up but it's still not guiltless it's still not blameless even now what happened to me in my first job in the meetings industry was years ago and even now even last year when i experienced another sexual harassment incident it was very difficult to speak up 
and there was still less, there was less of me, but there was still a part of me that felt ashamed. And I think what is really incredible is that looking at Miriam and hearing about some of the work that Miriam has done and understanding more about her story, thinking about the experiences that I've had and the work that I've done is that Miriam and I have both had these traumatic experiences and we are doing something about it. And I think exactly. that that is what the Me Too movement and the Meetings Too movement is about. It's about not sitting and staying quiet, but it's about sharing our stories, being vulnerable, and putting potentially our reputations at risk to say, I don't want to feel guilty or feel blamed for things that were not my fault, and I want to change. I would definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. I think about, um, I started to say earlier about I did confront my attacker, which is not the case for so many people. And I remember saying to him, like, you know, why did you do this? And uh, if you ever did this again, I will report you. Um, I don't know if that was an empty promise then or not, I have to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, um, but I felt like I had to say something. And I think that was like my internal, somewhat of like a, some type of peace in that moment to to settle me. Um, but I, to this day, it's something that makes me uneasy. Um, but I think um, there's some apprehension, I think, in our industry uh, about, uh, we know it happens, mm -hmm. but it's like, do we want to, do we want to shake things up? But I, I think we must shake things up, uh, especially in the face of injustice, we need to address these things. Um, you know, I, do, I don't want our industry to be known as an industry that where that this is acceptable or this is condoned behavior. And I think part of what I'm trying to do with some of the clients I work with is to have a, a statement to put out that this is not tolerated. Um, that could come in the forms of code of conduct policies. Um, that could be um, processes in place that we we actually follow through with. Like the clients actually, um, I mentioned that MPI had recently. Um, uh, implemented this confidential reporting um, system or some type of and I'm looking to think that we can something that we can do with some of our clients and I think it's very important that people feel safe and that they don't feel like there's going to be some type of uh, repercussion or backlash in saying something I think the environment uh, we want to create a environment where people feel like they can say something and I think that's one of the biggest aspects of this is being able to say that this has happened and know that A, I'm not going to be retaliated against, and B, something will actually be done about it. Yeah, and I think the other thing about the speaking up is um, speaking up when you see something that might not look okay. I can think of twice in the last 12 months where I have said to a woman, are you okay um, within the meetings industry scenario? And I think if, if we all did that, what I find is interesting is that both times the women said yes, and I didn't experience the situation as appropriate. And I didn't know what to do after that had happened because, and actually one time I, I said something to the man involved as well. I said, I, I don't think this looks appropriate um, and I think you should change your behavior. Um, and I feel that the more people that speak up, our, our industry is amazing. We're about bringing people together and we have some clear shared values. We're very, hospitable, we're always looking at how we can help each other. And I think if we fold this conversation into that, then I can imagine a future where it's the norm that we're all looking out for each other, rather than 
it's an eight o'clock party hour and we're off the stands and who knows what's happening over there, but it's not our business to be involved. Right, exactly. You know, first of all, I applaud you for sharing your story. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that that's empowered you to make changes both personally and within your organization. Are, are you doing anything else as a planner to just either move the conversation forward, make others realize the importance? Uh, yeah, so I shared a conversation with Courtney yesterday about um, I do co-chair, uh, uh, I'm a co-chair for uh, one of our, um, one of the industry associations and I'm on a committee as a co-chair for education. So I'm responsible and involved with program content. Um, I did. I remember bringing up the conversation to the board, and there was apprehension, and the apprehensions were valid concerns. But I almost felt like um, because it's so uncomfortable to talk about, it just want. I think so many people just want to avoid it altogether. And I was like, but we have to have this conversation. I'm like, I'm willing to. Uh, I, I I wouldn't let it go. I'm be honest. And I had a co-chair who was a male who was even as passionate as me, and I'm just thankful for that. To like, no, no, we need, we really need to have this conversation. We really need to make this a part of our program. So um, we were able to incorporate it. Um, we kind of focus on legal aspects to an organization. Um, some of the things that if you do not like, some of the things that you should be aware of um, um, in terms of just like not just reputation for your organization, but just where you can find yourself in legal trouble. Um, you know, was I sad, completely satisfied with that? No, I'll be honest. But I felt like I was, I was happy to be able to move the needle just a little bit further. So for me, um, just education around it, um, things that we should uh, consider. I think Quentin brings a great point, which I haven't focused too much, but the personal story, I think, mm -hmm. is definitely a missing piece. And I think that when it's in a professional environment, it's a really sticky, you know, it's like, okay, now are we teetering the line? Are we going too far and bringing these things up? But there's power in that. I think that's what's given the Me Too meetings to movement such momentum as those personal stories. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that there's a way that I can bring that into the educational programming as well. And Miriam, I have a question actually. With the educational programming, did you feel that people were left empowered to take action or was it more of a, a checklist approach and sticking to a, a list of legal guidelines? I think it was um, a green light in some cases for some of, you know, for this organization is a mixture of suppliers and um, planners. And I think um, it gave them some green light as to like where you can find yourself on the wrong side of this. Just like, just not acting at all. Just being, a, just taking a blind eye. So even if you don't look at the moral aspect of it, uh, but just look at it from just with your responsibility as a meeting organizer. Um, and that's kind of where we focus, but I, there is for me a very big moral compass for it. Um, and if, you know, unfortunately I had to kind of work within the parameters I was given. So I, I you know, I don't think it was a checklist for so many because I, I do believe that when we cover that topic and we covered other things as well, marijuana use, other other aspects of things that are going on in uh, meetings today, uh, violence and such of that nature. But I think for in this area, um, I think um, people are realizing that we need to have better parameters around this. We really need to do more. And I, I think it was insight from many people that this is happening and we have to do more and we just can't stand by and just watch anymore. We have to be active participants and changing the overall environment of meetings. Mm -hmm. 
And if we're truly passionate, a lot of the people I work with, they've been planners as long as I've been alive. If we're truly say we're passionate about this industry, we cannot hear this and not do anything. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just wondering, and I ask you, Courtney, the same thing, whether the approach of sharing the stories is what will change our industry more than the approach of the guidelines. And we're a very checklist-loving industry. Yes, <laughs> um, but this is something a bit different. So what would you think, Connie? I think that's a great question. And I think the most powerful way to make change is a combination of the two. I think that when you share stories and you're vulnerable, I think that that is when people connect on a human level. And I think that when you connect on a deeper level that is not just mental, you feel more inspired and more compelled to take action. Mm -hmm. And that is where those checklists of legal guidelines and action plans and how to communicate to your team and how to train your team to manage these situations and more importantly prevent these situations from happening, I think your, your team is going to be so much more inspired if they understand the why why does it matter to have these policies in place? Who has this impacted and who can we prevent from being affected by sexual harassment in the future? I know, Laurie, you were asking us where is it heading? And is this conversation I'm really hearing from Courtney and Miriam, there are now materials being created and there are so many women with stories. So really maybe the, the request that we're putting out to the industry is please share your stories because that will have people be open to using these checklists. Exactly. I think so too and I, I asked um, a friend a question earlier today and that was when we're living in a world of he said she said what do you do? And he responded to me and he said you look for patterns. And the only way to identify patterns of inappropriate behavior is to talk about it. So we have to, we have to be brave and we have to be open enough to have conversations with one another to ask questions. Did, you, did something happen to you with this specific person because something happened to me where I felt uncomfortable? I think we have to get over the fear of name dropping. I think we have to be specific. And I don't mean you have to stand from a rooftop and shout somebody's name and say that, you know, I think this person may be dangerous. But I, I think that there is a way to open up a safe space for conversations with your peers and with your colleagues and start getting real about behavior that's inappropriate and behavior that's harmful. Those are great points. Fiona, is there anything in terms of gender equality, you know, diversity and inclusion that plays into this that you'd like to bring up? Um, it's a really interesting question. I, I was speaking to some people on the MPI stand today, and I feel like this is a tipping point for many more conversations on diversity, because we're just touching on gender inequality within the meetings industry. We're just realizing that women's full powerful voice isn't being heard, whether that's seats at the table, high level, equal pay, hearing the stories of sexual harassment. And the more that that comes out, the next thing will be, what about different backgrounds, people of color? What about accessibility? There are so many people that are involved in meetings and events. Everybody is. Yet it's interesting that the decision makers still all look the same. 
Exactly. And what, 75% female in yeah. meetings industry, correct? Yes, correct. And it's something that when I was MPI's international chair and I had the pleasure of meeting so many of our over 17,000 members around the world, so many of them would say, thank you for being you. Right. It makes such a difference to us to see a woman on a stage. And then there were other interesting elements. So when I would go on the stage for a keynote, I would get lots of people messaging me afterwards saying they liked my shoes or my dress was nice and sparkly. And I would share the stage with Paul Van Der Venter, MPI CEO, and I would say to him, does anyone ever tell you anything about your shoes? He's like, my shoes? No, no, never. So not that that's wrong, but um, there are many differences in, in the gender piece going on. And I'm really happy to see this movement growing and to be part of the conversation now because I think we're going to explore them and does it empower women to talk about shoes? Does it empower us to have the conversations that we're having? And I know in the last year, the many vulnerable conversations like Miriam and Courtney, and I can't praise you enough for speaking up and creating this space, that's opened this to many other women who have held on to things for a long time, throughout most of their career and only now are feeling they can voice things. Thank you all for your insights. We're out of time. There's so much more to discuss, which we will in future podcasts, but I truly appreciate you all coming to the table to discuss this important topic. Thank you all to, the, to everyone in the audience, and please check out meetingstoday.com for additional podcasts on a variety of other topics related to the meetings industry. And be sure to check out our digital edition cover story of the October issue, which covers the topic meetings too, and Courtney Stanley and Sarah Solomon Dauden's efforts to prevent and combat sexual harassment in the industry. We will see you next time.